great day, amazing human. Welcome to the Empowered In My Skin podcast, where our mission is to help 1 billion people in this world think in more empowering ways. Empower humans, empower humans. So you are in the right spot to become a lead domino for empowerment today. My name is Inke Chi. I'm not only your host, but I am a vibrant optimist obsessed to bring you empowering content with each episode. We will be bringing you content alternating between longer episodes with feature guests and shorter episodes called Empowering Bites, where I'll be joined by my co-host, Gabby Mamone. So if you're ready, let the show begin. Great day, amazing humans. Yes, welcome to the next episode of Empowered My Skin, the podcast. Our guest today is a former RCMP police officer, a resilience expert, a certified mental emotional wellness coach, an award-winning speaker and author. His mission is to empower students, frontline workers, and high-stress organizations to overcome adversity, conquer stress, and build unwavering confidence. His own journey is a testament to the power of resilience. From experiencing a tragic incident that deeply impacted his life to facing an unjust conviction and serving time in jail, he has faced immense challenges. Yet, he has emerged stronger than ever, transforming his experience into a platform of motivational speaking and coaching. Prepare yourselves to be inspired as he shares insights with me, wisdom with me, and practical strategies for resilience, helping others cope with stress and overcoming life obstacles. We are going to have a conversation that will leave you motivated and equipped with the tools to conquer any challenge that comes your way. I trust that you are as excited as I am to learn more about our guests. Please join me in a huge, gigantic podcast welcome for Quasi Millington. <laughs> Thank you for having me. That's quite the introduction. I hope I live up to it. <laughs> you are. You already. You already are. You already are. So um, I was just about to call you, dude. <laughs> That's okay. So, okay. That's okay. I'm not. I, I'm not easily offendable, so okay. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> dude but, is fine. So I was like, dude, what has been your most empowering? You have me so hyped. That's why. What's your oh, most good. empowering thought that you have had today so far? Oh, today my most empowering thought. I love that. I was out at the park with my son. So I guess the most empowering thought is enjoy the moment. I was just loving life with him at the park today. Aww. So I guess that's my most important empowering moment. thought for today. Enjoy, enjoy the, moment. the moment. How easy is it for us not to? Yeah. Yeah. I had to have to come back to the moment all the time because we get so caught up, you know, yeah. what am I going to do tomorrow and the past? And um, that's one of the biggest things that has changed my life. Just yeah. being here now. Like I'm with you. Yeah. So I have a question for you then. And this is yeah, totally yeah. off script. And and if my team's listening, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get into the work that you prepared. But uh but Don't do you have any it. easy tactics where, you know, Quasi, you're in a moment and you just realize that okay, something's not feeling right, and then there's this tactic that you use to bring back yourself into the moment. Do you have anything like that? Uh absolutely. Deep breathing. Uh when I I'm trying to master awareness, I'm practicing. Mm -hmm. But just bring myself back to the moment when something's off, mm -hmm. deep breath in, hold it, and then out. And then I always try to count at least 10 seconds before reacting. Mm. So if uh, something's going on, someone says mm. something, and I want to react, mm. I don't always get it right, but yeah. I try to breathe and wait that 
time. Yeah. And it's funny that things often kind of settle. Emotions yeah. settle yeah. even in a 10 second time frame. So that's my thing. You know, it's so funny. You know, what just came to me when you did that. Cause I did that with you and I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if it was a tactic I use as well, where I'm like, okay, we're going to take a deep breath in everybody. Let's just go. Like once I feel yeah. like, cause I lead teams, right. And there's a lot of tension okay. and, and there's all this healthy tension, but sometimes, you know, when it's crossing that line and it, actually I just was like, it was very powerful as you did it. I did it. And, yeah. um, and the other thing that really came to me, I realized is cause you talked about practice, like getting yourself to practice that a little bit more. And what I realized is a lot of times we think that that's for us. It's actually not like you're practicing it so you can get better for like us. When I mean like yourself, but you're probably you're you're essentially that practice benefits others like as well. Yeah, it yeah. definitely improves relationships. Yeah. I know, you know, I'm, I'm married and there's times when <laughs> I've wanted to say something and I take the time and sometimes I think sal- silence can save relationships. Well, silence <laughs> like, is a language. Like, <laughs> silence is a language of love. Yeah. Um, so yes, it definitely helps my relationship with my wife. And when you cool down, you take that time and you yeah. realize, you know, that thing I want to say so badly. Yeah doesn't yeah. need to be said. Yeah. Um, but yes, to your, to your point, I do this when I teach my workshops on mental health and, mm. and stress management. I get the audience to do it because it's one thing to tell you breathe in, breathe out when you're mm-hmm. stressed, but it's another thing to actually spend a minute right there in the workshop mm-hmm. breathing and then they feel the power just like you did. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm, I'm going to use that. I, I'm actually, I, I just, the power of, I've never, I've done it before where people are like, hey, take a deep breath in. But the way that you just did it, because you didn't invite me to do it with you. I just, I did it with you. And I felt in the moment with you. So that was awesome. So I, um, I you know, one of the very first times I ever probably watched or listened and listened to your story, it was very impactful, very empowering. I think I've both read it um, way back when. And then I've also listened to you tell it. So you know, I'm just going to ask for the listeners here, if you could take us back to that moment when you faced public scrutiny, a wrongful conviction and unjustified incarceration and how you found the strength to overcome the many challenges that uh, that would have been exposed to you at that time. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a, it's a long story. It's a convoluted story. And I'm trying to make sure that I explain it clearly because mm. sometimes there's been some confusion as to why I went to jail and the story, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Uh, so uh, I became a police officer in 2005 with the RCMP. And a couple of years into my career, we get a call uh, about a man who is destroying property at Vancouver airport. Most Canadians now know the story. If I guess if they're in my age range, I'm in my forties. Um, but there was a disturbance at the airport. Myself and three other officers, we get called to basically deal with this situation. Uh, we get in, to an altercation with the man. And if I mentioned the terms YVR taser incident, most people know, or at least have heard of it. A lot of people have, uh, but the bottom line is because he wasn't listening, I had to use my taser on him, which is a typical routine police move to do. We get in physical altercations with people all the time as police officers, unfortunately, and tragically after we got him under arrest, he died of heart failure right in the airport. And people were watching, people were, there was a guy that was videotaping and it was a situation that I didn't expect because I had been tasered myself. I had dealt with people myself as far as having to fight before. Everything that I had done up to arresting him was 
quote unquote routine for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I've experienced and I never ever experienced or thought that someone would die mm-hmm. after I got in a fight with them. It's the first and only time that ever happened. Now, what happens in policing is, and there's a lot of ways I can go with this with policing, but a lot of times when we explain things to the public, we try to do it a little bit too quickly. And so what happened was someone was placed on camera, another officer to explain what happened. And he never talked to any of us. That's not his fault. That was the fault of the force for putting him out there too quickly. He got the story wrong. The video came out and there became this uh, story that they're covering up what they did. The officers are trying to make this guy sound like he was so bad. The video shows different than what the interview showed. And so there became this big story in British Columbia that these guys are covering up. They killed this poor man and they tried to lie about it. So that was the thought, the feeling that was out there. So our case was passed on to three different police forces. It was passed on to the provincial crown in British Columbia. So lawyers that had nothing to do with us. And they looked at it and said, hey, should we charge these guys with murder, manslaughter, anything of that nature for their use of force? It was run through the ringer, came back. They did what they were trained to do. Tragedy resulted, but that is what happens sometimes in the policing world. Time passes. I go back to work. A couple of years later, and I know I'm going on long with this, but it's part of the story. I'm I'm fascinated. No, a couple of later, couple, couple of years later, I'm working by then I'm back in Ontario. So I'm from Ontario originally British Columbia is where it happened after the incident. My face is on video. My face is on the news. I couldn't work in BC anymore. I was too recognized and it was just too distracting for me to be there for my other fellow officers and for myself. So I come back to Ontario. I work a plainclothes position in financial crime and I'm called back to BC to testify in a national inquiry. So it's broadcast nationally and I have to testify as to what I did at the airport. So I spent three days on the stand out in BC, testified, told the truth, said this is what happened. Uh, This is what I was trained to do. And the night that I actually went to the airport, I actually gave statements as to what I did. Now, the statements that I gave were just right after the incident, so there were mistakes in the statement. I said certain things, and I didn't realize that it happened a little differently. Hindsight's 20-20. By the time I looked at the video, I realized, oh, okay, what I said in my statement there wasn't correct. So I testified to that when I was in this inquiry, and I got a bunch of questions saying, well, you said this in your statement, and this is what happened on video. And I said, hey, listen, it was an honest accident. And it was pretty much that for three days in British Columbia. I testify, I fly home, I go back to work. So this is a few years after the incident now at the airport. Then I get a letter that says, Constable Millington, you've been charged with perjury. Perjury means you've lied on the stand. So when you testify and you lie, that's called perjury. I've never lied a day in my career, but I was still charged and I was convicted of perjury. I had to explain all of that because a lot of times when I say a man died at the airport and I went to jail, people think I went to jail for what I did at the airport. No, I went to prison for a charge of perjury that a judge decided that I was guilty. He sentenced me to two and a half years in jail and I ended up losing everything, my job, my career, 
and my freedom. I spent 10 months in the Canadian correctional system and that's my story from policing. And that was effectively December 12, 2017. Mm -hmm. That's when my policing career ended 12 years with the RCMP. Do you want me to explain why I'm here now? Doing no, I wasn't. Like, so I was just about to. So can I ask you a question? Because yeah, yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is uh, state of mind, um, having not had that type of experience before, and and in that moment, like so, going back to then, not versus how you got to where you are today, but what was your, where were you in sort of your personal journey around how you're unpacking how this was happening? and what it actually truly meant to you, Kwesi, at that time? What was your state of mind? Yeah. Uh, well, I would say my state of mind was different every every stage of this case. Mm-hmm. At the airport, shock. I had no idea that this man was going to die after we had an altercation with him. I didn't realize he had a pre-existing, he had pre-existing medical conditions that kind of mm-hmm. put him in a state where if we did get physical with him. There was a chance he was going to die regardless of method. This came out later. This is information that came out later, but all people said was this guy is a murderer and he's a liar. That's, that's pretty much what I've been labeled with. And I get hate mail to this day <laughs> um, of people calling me that. And, and that's just the way life goes. But it was shock when that first happened. When I went back to work, I was, my state of mind was actually, you know what? This is something that was tragic, but it happens in policing. It's happened to other officers. I've spoken to other officers who've had in-custody deaths. That's what it's called. So I wasn't really that affected by it, but policing is a weird industry in that you can see the worst of the worst, and you compartmentalize it, and you go back to work. It's not a healthy strategy, but it's what mm-hmm. officers do. Um, it wasn't until I was charged with perjury that I realized okay, people have decided that this is how they want to label me. And that one's a tough one to swallow because I testified in the inquiry and I thought when people see me and they see that I'm honestly saying I did what I was trained to do and I didn't mean for this guy to die. And, you know, I thought they would see that in me that I was, you know, um, just a human being, not a Mm -hmm. officer robot Mm -hmm. that goes in because some of the questioning was uh, during the inquiry was, Oh, you're a six foot tall in shape black guy. And you went into the airport and you know, you, you know what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. they tried to paint me like this robotic figure. And I Mm -hmm. thought that I could overcome that with my testimony, but it never went that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, that was um, hurtful. Mm -hmm. I guess my state was, that was, was hurtful at the time because I thought, I could change some people's minds as far as how they, how they viewed Mm -hmm. me in that incident. Um, And then when I got to my trial, it was funny, the first week of my, my perjury trial, my lawyer actually said to me, this judge wants to convict you. Mm -hmm. Those are not my words. This is what my lawyer said to me. And so I kind of wanted to push that away because I thought, no, he's going to see the facts and he's going to find me not guilty, but it turns out he was right. Um, According to my lawyer, anyways, he said he had preconceived notions and he decided he was going to convict me from the moment I walked in that courtroom. This is what people have said. And I tend to believe that now because the evidence is so clear Mm -hmm. that officers sometimes make mistakes in their statements. Mm -hmm. We had an officer testify in my trial who's a 20 plus year veteran of the Vancouver police who didn't remember beating a guy up and throwing him in the back of a police wagon Mm -hmm. because he was so hyped up. Mm -hmm. But he 
swore that he never did that mm -hmm. because there's science that shows that you forget things and you recall things differently. Um, so I was disappointed when I was charged, when I was convicted. Um, and I, I guess my state of mind didn't change until I went to prison. Uh, there's an old saying that said, if you want to find Jesus, go to prison. Yeah, because so that's I was where, just about to say, is that's that when your, everybody faith, is that when your Jesus. faith kicked in? It, yeah, yeah. Um, and and, I, and I'm, I'm not a, I grew up going to church, but I didn't, I'm not a church goer now, but I am a you spiritual a person and, and I have a relationship with God in my own way. Mm -hmm. And prison for me kind of brought that to the surface. And I believe in life. Sometimes God doesn't refuse things. He redirects. Ooh. And that was my redirection to, to go a different path in life. God does not refuse things. He redirects. <laughs> wow. You can tweet that one. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that's actually probably going to be the show quote. I, I really, that's that's incredible. And so, and so, what was the work that you? Because I mean, there's God, and I and I get it. And so, to a lot of people, they're not even on that path, or they're not on that journey, or they don't see the the value in the. And the, so, what did that look like for you? I'm, because and the reason why is because before we get to why you are on here today, I. It's so important when you talk about the redirection because I think it's in that redirection that our anointing is revealed. It's always been there. And so that's why if you can actually start to talk about how did you start to build that relation? Like, what did that even look like? You start to pray, you start, you were crying. Like, what did that, if you, you know, elaborate, please. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's, 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 it's interesting because I walked through the prison doors October 31st, Halloween 2017. Okay. We'll never forget Halloween, right? <laughs> I walk into jail and the the warden comes up to me and he says, hey, listen, uh, because of your background, you're a police officer. I understand your story, but we're not placing you in general population because you're a cop. And for my protection, I was placed in solitary. Now, solitary is normally punishment for prisoners. For me, it was protection. And I remember one of the cells that I was placed in and it was so strange because I sit down and I'm thinking, how did my career end? How did I get to this point? Why did it come to this? And sometimes in prison cells, people write things on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I look at this one wall and down low, there's three words and it's like the only writing on the wall. And it said, look to God. And at the time, I'm thinking, okay, why is that the only thing written on this wall? Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what that looked like for me in the moment. I, I didn't like start praying it on my knees saying, God, please help me through this. It wasn't any kind of moment in that second, but I just paused. And I just said, you know what, if there's something that I need to learn in here, if there's something I need to do in here that might be helpful to me in the future, then just show it to me. And that's all I said. I didn't even say to God. I just kind of said it out loud. And mm -hmm. I got transferred from a provincial prison to a federal prison where I was still in solitary. But in that prison, I ended up getting access to the prison library. Mm -hmm. And that is something that really changed everything for me because I just been kind of there sitting there staring into space. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to read. I'm just going to read books. I'm going to get involved in just forgetting that I'm here. And I remember the book I found, the first one I found, torn off cover, but I recognized the author. Now, this author wrote a book years ago that I did not resonate with at all because it was so esoteric. It was all out there, but I recognized his name. So I pick it up and I'm like, all right, let me just read this book. The book, drum roll, is called A New Earth. Yeah, my Tolle. Edgar Tolle, I knew it. 
I bet she's the first one of the first ones I read too. I I didn't think you were going to say the power of now. Yeah, I well, the power of say, now was was the book I was, was talking like, about. I knew you were. Right? Uh, a, a lovely lady gave me the power of now a few years earlier and I'm reading it and I read a page. I'm like, I don't get this. Let me read the page again. You know, a new me... earth is way more hard to grasp than a power of now. I, I guess maybe spiritually I was ready yes, for it or yes, mentally yeah, or whatever, yeah. but a new earth was like Eckhart Tolle was sitting right there. You know, the past is where depression comes from. The future is where anxiety comes from. The present moment is the field on which the game of life is played. It cannot happen anywhere else. Respond only to what the present moment requires. I've memorized so many things from this book. And he just kept talking about the present moment, the present moment. Um, And then I read another book, and and it said that Herman Melville, the author of Moby Dick, says, God's only voice is silence. So silence gets thrown at me over and over again. And so I just, that's where I really fell in love with meditation with just being in the moment saying, what's my right move right now. And that gave me so much peace because I, at the time I'd been like, I, I want to be a police officer. I passed out my 25 years within the RCMP and I was so depressed because I was hanging on to what I had lost mm. that I could not see what, what I could have, have. Yeah. I, I couldn't see what it could be. And I didn't even want to worry about the future because I didn't know what I was going to do at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I just said, what's my right move right now? And that was a game changer for me because every day then just became, okay, what can I do today? I can read, Mm -hmm. I can journal, I can do some squats in my solitary cell. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, there's just, it's just so much power. There's so much power and peace and presence. So that was what started to change things for me. And I believe God is in that silent moment. I believe that's when God, answers us you know prayer is talking to god and silence meditation is listening yeah. so that is is kind of what i, I do, i've done and the world gets a little busy so i need to get back into it more the way that i used to but i always say if i can do a one minute of meditation every day i'm good that's and that's and that's my practice that i have been able to maintain <laughs> oh gosh this is you i'm so i'm so off script. Sorry, team. I have to just, I have to ask because I'm having this opportunity. I've had another, I've had actually someone else that um, shared a story about going to jail and what that experience was too on, on the show. And, um, but they weren't in solitude. And um, so when you said that to me, I, I thought, I'm not quite sure if you have or if anyone's ever asked you, but to describe what, because I don't even know if you know, if in that space, you know what a day is like. But mm. what would, what would a time, what would this time feel like? Uh, time kind of loses its meaning there. And, and, and that is almost like a benefit. Once I discovered the a new earth and now losing that attachment to every moment, the time being on the watch, being on your phone uh, is a blessing. Um, but when you're first thrown in, you're wondering what time it is and you're thinking, okay, it's been so long but I just measured time by the lights. Uh, so eventually the the prison I was in, seven o'clock was 7 a.m. around was coffee and breakfast that they slide into mm-hmm. your cell. Um, and 11 o'clock was lunch and about three o'clock was dinner. I know it's an early dinner, but that's how I measured the time. Uh, I didn't know how to measure it any other way. The lights would go on in the cell about 6, 6.30 mm-hmm. and they would go off at... I want to say eight or nine, probably nine. Uh, but anyways, that's how I measured time. Mm. And that's how I knew. And time in between, I didn't really 
uh, no, the time between seven and eleven. I don't know if it's nine fifty nine or ten thirty six, but that's how I that's how I started to measure time, and eventually I started writing and journaling and reading that I I stopped paying attention to time, mm-hmm. and there's a beauty in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no cell phone, no watch, no time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something special about that. So I try to have times like that, that I create now where I don't have a watch anymore. I used to have an Apple watch. I sold it. Um, And I try to go out when I go for a walk. I don't, I make sure I'm just out for a walk. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that's, uh, and that's what a day is like. So it's 23 and a half hours a day in the cell. The half an hour that you leave, I get to take a quick shower. I could walk around. They had this like barbed wired fence area where you walk around if you want to. It was November when I was out there. So I'm not a winter guy, so <laughs> I know it's not winter yet, but for me, it was starting to get cold. So I actually forego for, I, I didn't bother to go outside yeah, a lot yeah. of days. Um, and that was actually my mistake. I should have gone outside every day. Um, eventually I was transferred to minimum security and I would go for walks all the time. And I realized, shoot, I should have done that when I was in solitary as well. Yeah. You know, yesterday I had an interview and, um, and the topic came up around, um, fear and and I shared um, I shared um, about um, what was his name? Kirk Franklin has this powerful video why we sing where he where it's a video of him at some some jail and he's with the inmates and you could just see them like singing their hearts out and and you see what real you see what freedom can look like with people that are actually incarcerated. And to me, that analogy just brings me back to like how many people are locked up and tied up and in solitary in their own minds without sort of, and not, and not physically in the same type of situation that you're in now, which is now going to bring me to sort of now into the next question is, sure. so, you know, you get through that and now you have the story that is really inspiring others. And I often say it, that's a that's the epitome of where you are on today with me that you've taken more out of adversity and adversity's taken out of you. And so how do you like come that. yeah, <laughs> how do you come out of how do you come like so coming out of that what's the path to starting to get your mindset around positioning yourself into this anointing that you have to inspire and motivate others? Yeah, no it's when I was in inside, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I had some idea that I wanted to work with youth, um, young people, simply because as an officer, it was a passion of mine. Um, my, in, so just to give you some background, every, the Vancouver airport is in Richmond, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Rich, Richmond's where you start. You have to do, you have to have a rotation where you work at the airport for about a year to a year and a half. Every member of Richmond does that. They rotate in, then they rotate back out to the street work. Mm -hmm. The airport is typically a very quiet place to work. No one actually likes that rotation of a year to a year and a half because it's kind of boring a lot of nights. You're walking around. And for me, it was, you know, about talking to and hitting on flight attendants and, you know, just all kinds of of nonsense I was doing. But, you know, just it's kind of a chill time. Unfortunately for me, that night wasn't obviously, but the reason I mentioned that is because when I got, when I got back to the city, my plan was to work with youth. We have a section that works just with young people going into schools, helping young people. Um, and I was, I was dead set on working in that section. 
And then, of course, the airport incident happened and everything got derailed. So when you fast forward to prison, I, was, I always had youth on my mind, but I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, I didn't know if I wanted to become a social worker or something where I would be able to mentor youth. So when I got out of the prison, I volunteered for an organization called um, City Kids, and they basically mentor kids in Hamilton, and I did that for a little bit. And I just like being around young people. And somehow I ended up on YouTube and I found this guy um, who was a youth speaker. And I'm like, yeah, that, that looks like something I might want to do. Because he was in schools, he was motivating people, uh, young kids in high school. And I thought, maybe I can do that. Because a few years before I went to jail, I joined Toastmasters. And I'm like, I'm pretty good at speaking. Let me see if I can kind of develop that. And then I found his coach, the guy that I saw on YouTube. His coach was a guy named Josh Ship, who has a whole um, course called Youth Speaker University. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, God, God led me that way. And I ended up uh, signing up, getting coached uh, privately by some people on their team on how to create a youth speaking business. Um, and all the time, to- while I was doing that, I would have officers come up to me and say, oh my gosh, you're starting this youth business. You went to jail. You went through all this wrongful conviction and all this. How are you doing this? And then I started looking up the stats on police officers that more police officers die by suicide than any other profession. Nine nine out of 10 police marriages end in divorce. There's so much problems in policing with mental health or resilience. And then of course, you know, George Floyd happened, but that was later on, but I'd been getting all these questions And I thought, I have to do something for police officers as well, because a lot of their mental health is tied into their job Mm -hmm. and getting a promotion. And if they don't get the exact career they want, uh, they get so depressed. Um, Unfortunately and tragically, the member, the RCMP officer that was put on television to describe our case when I was at the airport. You remember that way mm-hmm. back when I mm-hmm. when I was at the airport and he, I used the taser and they put this guy on television and he didn't get the facts right. And he became part of the narrative that we were covering things up mm-hmm. and he got a lot of flack for what he did, but what he was told to do. Unfortunately, he tragically, he slipped into a depression after that and he committed suicide. And so my incident basically led to two deaths. A lot of people talk about Robert Jakansky at the airport, but a lot of people don't talk about uh, Lumetra. And anyways, I wanted to share that with you because I knew that I was going to get into youth speaking, but I could not ignore the first responders and the frontline workers. Um, So I started to say, okay, what have I learned about mental health? What have I learned about resilience? And I started to put together programs and packages and, and, um, you know, 2018 is when I was paroled and 2019 is when I said, you know what, I'm going to start doing this. And that's what I'm starting to do now. Of course, the world shut down in 2020. So my business has took a while to start to grow a little bit, but now I'm at a point where uh, it's starting to grow even more. And um, I'm, I'm grateful because it allows me to give back. Um, it allows me t- to help. Mm-hmm. And I know I just feel like I have a debt to do this. Yeah. I have an, o- I have an obligation to, to do something to help people through their own struggles. Yeah, very par- powerful and very purposeful. And I, and I, and I love it. And, uh, and so as you like start to do the study, starting to do this work, meeting with a lot of people, helping to encourage people and, and you talk about this resilience, what are some misconceptions that people have about 
resilience and how um, how can individuals really cultivate this trait in their lives? Okay, uh, so misconception of resilience, we're going to start with that. Um, some people think that you're born with it or not, and there is a genetic factor, but it's very small. Um, some people think that you have to go through something major to be resilient, and like, I haven't gone through your story, so I'm not resilient. But resilience is not like a monumental thing. It's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. It's a daily thing. There's things you can do on an on a daily basis. So in my workshops, I try to just teach things that you can do every day to shore up so that if something does happen, even if you haven't been through things, you can shore yourself up. So you're ready to go. It's like the tools on the tool belt. So give us, right? give us one yeah. tool. Give us one tool today. Uh, well, I gave you the breathing tool. Yep. Um, another one I, I, I took from Martin Seligman, who's a psychologist has way more letters after his name than I do. Um, he calls it the, you know, the ABC rule. So every time you go through an adversity, right? So you go through something, even if it's small and a lot of people, they skip to C, which is the consequential action. Okay. But before that there's B, there's the beliefs, there's the inner dialogue, there's the self-talk. Um, and he said that, when we have the A, the adversity, we go through B, the beliefs, the things that we say to ourselves, and we go through, and then that leads to C, the consequence. The misconception is, because this happened to me, A, I'm C, depressed. Uh, no, it's never because of A, it's because of B, e, the beliefs uh, that you have, right? So the beliefs you have. So he says, D, we got to dispute those beliefs. We got to sit down and, and catch them, because you can go from A to C in a second, right? Do you know road rage? Someone cuts you off, you give them the middle finger, right? Not, you don't do that because you're a woman of I, God. I don't. <laughs> I actually say, thank you, you're saving me. Go on, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Try, try, try Jesus, don't try me. There's, yeah, an, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's an artist that says that. Toby's his name, but he's a, uh, but yeah, exactly. Uh, sometimes turning the other cheek isn't easy. Um, but yeah, so we skip from A to C and we never cut, and we never really question the belief. So I'm mm -hmm. trying to do that more and um, keeping an ABC journal mm -hmm. is a, is a good way to do that. Mm -hmm. So just even just slowing down the breathing helps with this. So they're all related. So you breathe, you slow down the power of awareness. Mm -hmm. When someone cuts you off next time you breathe, did he get up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Did he really mean to cut me off? Mm -hmm. Like, is it, have I ever been through situations mm -hmm. where I've made a stupid decision on the road? Mm -hmm. Ah, that changes your C because I've disputed the, the belief. Mm -hmm. So that, that one for me is a very powerful one that I find that people don't always jump right in and do it because it, re it requires work mm -hmm. and awareness, mm -hmm. but it is an absolute game changer if you use it. And it's interesting because this podcast is called empowered in my skin and my, my whole mission in life is about helping a billion people, um, you know, think in ways that are empowering. And what you just touched on is like, the core it starts with your belief you can't achieve beyond your belief that's another mm. thing right you can't you can't you whatever you believe essentially you become right so i love yeah. that so just before i get into these rapid thrivers and i you know by the way like I totally i'm just i was like in like you just had me in you have this a very captivated um your, your story is very captivating, but I think it's what's even more captivating is, is knowing where you are on today. And so, you know, um, you are human, you've gone through what you've gone through and you're getting through what you're getting through and you're doing what you're doing. What still trips you up? Like where are still some of the things that you're like, yeah, I got to double click on this for myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, comparison is, is, is a big one that, mm. uh, still gets to me because, 
you know, I compare myself to people who, uh, A, have done better than me and or are doing better than me in business or speaking. And sometimes like I get caught up in the social media thing, like, Oh, this person's doing this or that. Mm -hmm. And, and I have to bring myself back to that awareness to say, you know what, I'm on my own journey. And I think that sometimes God will hold things back from you. Mm -hmm. If you're not, if you're not ready for them, because there's been a couple of times in my life where I'm like, I wanted that. But I look back now and said, oh, if I was given that at the time, I would have messed it up completely. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning to trust the timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, And if you ask, it still trips me up. Yes. Um, another thing that still trips me up is I mentioned there was four of us at the airport that night. All four of us were charged with perjury. There were four separate trials. Two of the RCMP officers were convicted. Two were acquitted. Let me ask, two black? Uh, two of color <laughs> two white two, two of Sorry, color it's unfortunate yeah. that i'm going there but no, well it, it's the reality of the situation yes the two that were acquitted were white and the two that were convicted were men of color myself and an indigenous officer mm-hmm. and you know because one of the acquitted members is like one of my closest friends i i don't harp on it i'm aware i know it's out there but there are times when you ask what trips me up mm-hmm. I see his career is flourishing and I think, man, you know, part of me is like, I have to hustle to build my business. Yeah. Now I have to hustle to get out there. And a part of me wishes, you know, and even if I, what I think I would have been speaking anyways, I feel like I, I'm drawn to that, mm-hmm. but it would be nice to say, you know, I'm still an officer. I still was acquitted and I was vindicated. Yeah. Um, and I never really got that. And, and then that part, sometimes I still compare myself to him and where he is in his career. And I think, man, where could I have been? And the only thing so. I'm going to say, because in spirit, <laughs> I feel like I need to say this, yeah. is be patient. Because everything that's happening to you is transient. It's temporary. Mm. And just set your sights on that North Star. And your North Star should be bigger than anybody else's. Right? Like, just make your North Star big. There's a great African proverb that says, are you, are you familiar with the lion and the gazelle? Um, is Eric Thomas talk about that? Yes. Eric Thomas. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. yeah, Every day. And it doesn't matter if you're a liner gazelle when the, when the sun gets up, you just, you just go. Yeah. 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 He he, he used to say that story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that's very powerful. Right. And um, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And I, I truly believe that, um, like think about Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. And he could have been thinking about some of the people that were a little bit more fortunate than him and ask yourself, who does all the entire world talk about? Yeah. And who are kids going to talk about? I hear you. But it took, it took time. Takes time. Okay. Thank you for that. Actually, I needed to hear that. So thank you. Be patient. So now I'm going to take you into some rapid thrivers. Okay. So when you think of when you think of someone who empowers you, who comes first to mind? Think who empowers me? Yeah. Or inspires Uh, you? uh, You know, it's still my mom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just because. um, Yeah, she's been been through a lot in her life, and she has always always maintained positivity and she's infected me with that i love that um a book well maybe we know it i'm gonna no a daily activity that helps you with your thrive 
Can I, is it, is it, do you have anything other than br- deep breathing? Um, I have a book I read called The Course in Miracles. Oh, and, yes. You and I are two uh, kin, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I try to um, do the daily lesson every day. That's a big uh, book, by the way, everybody. It's it's a, it's a massive, massive book. book. Hold I on, only hold on, have, hold on. I'm, I, I, I haven't seen the real copy. Video, yeah, but, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I only have the digital copy. I don't, that's a, my, my husband yeah. has read that back to front. I, th- I want to say either two or three times. 